0: this chapter 13. Uh, Some of you will have met my brother. Uh, My brother loves cars. Cars has been uh, a passion of his for for a long time. And uh, he has all different cars. He's forever changing his cars. And this uh, last year when I've been going back to the UK... Uh, My brother has very, very kindly lent me one of his cars to to use while I'm there. And and I always get excited uh, when my my brother talks about lending me a a car because I always know that it's going to be something interesting. He he doesn't do boring cars. There's always something different, something exciting, something strange about the the cars that he uh, has. Now, he wanted to lend me one, And I just said, no, Dan, I can't have that one. Because the engine was just too big. It was producing 550 brake horsepower, which is a lot. It goes 0 to 60 faster than pretty much any car you would see in Cyprus. Uh, It had a Lamborghini engine in it, but it was an Audi. Uh, And it does. 12 miles to the gallon, <laughs> uh, and if you're using litres and things, it's just very, very expensive. So I said, no, Dan, no. So, so he lent me his little, little brother of this car, which too is an Audi, uh, which too goes extremely fast. But one of the, the features I like about this Audi is that you can change the settings of, of what it does. Yeah? Now, I think in my car, I've got a button that I press, it changes things. Nothing really happens, yes? But in this Audi, things do happen with this knob, yes? There's a little dial here. And when Rachel, my Rachel's in the car, we have to have it set on comfort, yes? The lady needs comfort. If I can sneak it onto economy, I do. Because then I get more miles to the gallon, and it doesn't cost me so much to run. But when I was in this car, and I had my Rachel and her sister and her niece there, another fast car came alongside us at the traffic lights. And my niece said to me, she said, Uncle James. And I got the tone of voice. (laughs) And I twisted the dial and changed from comfort to dynamic sport. And and in honesty, you wouldn't notice anything much except for two things. The car dropped a little bit, and the engine note changed. Now, my brother keeps talking about the engine note of the car, and I didn't really understand what this is, yes, but a normal car just goes And then when I flicked it, the engine note went down to this gravelly. And it was game on. And in the words of my niece, I smoked the car beside us. And then I had to stop very quickly, because we were in England, and speed limits, and all the rest of it. But it's this thought of engine note. Yeah? Engine note. Why, why am I mentioning this? Because when I flicked that switch, the engine note changed and the intent changed and everyone knew what it was about. This car was going to do something and it did. I'm coming to this passage of scripture now. And I need a voice note. I need a a, a note that's particular to this passage. Because I'm going to be saying things this morning that are sensitive and I'm going to be saying things from this passage that I think might be hard for us to get our minds around or comprehend. And there may be things that we don't even like. And my voice and how I say this, I realize, is going to be important. I don't want to come across in a vindictive way. I don't want to come across in a way that you think that I know it all. You don't, I don't want to come across in a way that is judgmental. What I long for this morning is that that engine note, that that sound that you hear is something of love. The bookends of this passage is love never ends, but the greatest of these is love. And so no matter how you take what God's word is saying to us this morning, please, please take this. I'm desiring to bring this word to us all this morning in love. Because love never ends. And the greatest these of love. Last week we saw from this passage, we're looking particularly at those verses in in, in chapter 13. From verse 8 to the end. And and we saw that the gifts are temporary from verse 8. We saw that the gifts are not everything from verse 9. We saw that the the gifts, these spiritual gifts, will end. We saw that these extraordinary gifts, and that's what we're referring to here, are not a sign of maturity from verse 11. And, and, And gifts we don't know at all. There's so much more for us to know. The only one who knows everything is God the Father. And the gift of love is the greatest. And that's where we went last week. And although we didn't spend much time in that last point, we didn't look at verse 13 in any particular length at all. And we will be coming back to it. That This week, I want us to take up the question, are the partial? In verse 10, it talks about partial, doesn't it? In verse 10, uh, it, it it says... There. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Are the partial spiritual gifts in verse 10 still relevant now? That's the question we'll be wrestling with as we go through God's word this morning. And while we're in this passage of Scripture here, we will be going to lots of other passages of Scripture to see what is going on and what is happening. And and I have endeavored to put them all up for you, so you can follow them there, but you feel free to follow them in uh, the Bibles. And what I'm planning to do is to put the uh, PowerPoint notes up uh, on the uh, the WhatsApp group so that you'll be able to check out all these verses uh, in your own leisure time. Uh, And you can go through it then as well. So, So the partial gift, the partial that's mentioned there in verse 10 in the immediate context is prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. That's what the earlier verse is talking about. Prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. But I think we can See, in the wider context, and and this passage is here in the middle of 12 and 14, and and, and we can see what's been said and see what's going on here, and and so we can quite easily see that in the context of the the passage as a whole, is, is where this argument of Paul's is going, that these partial also include the list of gifts that are in 12, In chapter 12, in verses 8 and 10, there's a list of uh, spiritual gifts that have been given to the church there in explanation of the fact that Paul does not want the Corinthian church to be uninformed. God doesn't want us to be uninformed. And so, as the passage says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterances of wisdom, and another utterances of knowledge. According to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing uh, by one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another abilities to distinguish between the Spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And as we were in that passage, we saw that these gifts are extraordinary. They're not everyday. They're not normal things. They are extraordinary things. They are either revelatory, which means God speaking directly to the church, or they are supernatural. They are miracles. They are unusual things. They're not the normal things that happen. And we can see these happening in God's Word, and we will come to them in a moment. But also we see in chapter 12 that, of, of corinthians that these spiritual gifts all spiritual gifts but these ones as well as they encompass because this is not the definitive list there are other lists in god's word and in different parts of god's Word, in romans ephesians and elsewhere which talk of other gifts but all these gifts all spiritual gifts are for the common good they're for the building up of the church and when we go into chapter 14 we will see that back then the that these gifts were for the building up of the church. And so we look through the book of Acts. And in the book of the Acts of the Apostles there is a record of these extraordinary gifts. There is a record of of what's happening. And when we see these extraordinary gifts, when we see these, what are sometimes called signs and wonders in action, we always, always see the church being built up. Throughout the book of Acts, the miraculous gifts, the supernatural happenings, the the amazing things, the signs and wonders that were going up were always in regard to the building up of the church. They weren't building up a person. They weren't building up a ministry. They were building up God's church. And we also see there's a direct connection between the signs and the wonders and the extraordinary gifts to the apostles. And in his book, Signs of the Apostles, uh, by a guy called Water. Chantry, he outlines that all the signs and wonders, and he goes through all the signs and wonders and acts, and he records a link directly to or linked with the apostles' involvement. And that's interesting. We need to note that, yes? Now, the disciples were enabled by Jesus through the Holy Spirit to do miracles before the day of Pentecost. But I'm taking the day of Pentecost as as the starting point because that is when the Holy Spirit was formally given to the New Testament church. And on the day of Pentecost, the first gift to be manifest was tongues. And we, we read of this, and it's recorded in Acts 2, and when we look through Corinthians 12, we were... and and took on tongues. We were looking at that and and seeing it explained there. And and what happened in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, the the disciples as they were waiting there in the upper room, and they had this gift of tongues. And this gift in tongues enabled the disciples, enabled those who were gathered, to speak languages that they had not learned. They were not speaking gobbledygook. They were speaking languages that they had not learned learned. And this was confirmed by the fact that people who didn't know their natural language of the person speaking heard them speaking in their own language. And so this was a miraculous thing. It was a gift of tongues. And as a result, many people heard the gospel and the church was built up. Acts 2, 41 says, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The gift of tongues was manifest. The disciples and those gathered in the upper room through the Holy Spirit had the ability to speak in languages that they hadn't learned. And the result of that was the church being built. The result of that was the gospel being proclaimed. The result of that wasn't a gobbledygook noise. It was something tangible and real seen in the outworking of the power of God through the Holy Spirit, not only that the people heard the gospel, but they were changed by the gospel. And what a day must that have been. 3,000 souls, 3,000 people saved and brought into the kingdom of God. The next recorded instance is in Acts 10. In verse 44, Peter was preaching to the Gentiles. Now, the previous time... It was predominantly to the Jews. It tells us that in Acts 5, verse 5. And this time, Peter, through God's sovereignty, through his providence, through his divine intervention, through the Holy Spirit, has taken Peter to a different situation. He's with Gentiles, and he was preaching. And that's when the Holy Spirit came to those Gentiles for the first time. And in 46 of this chapter 10... These Gentiles, upon whom the Holy Spirit came, it tells of them. It says, "For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God." How did they know that the Holy Spirit had came to the Gentiles on that occasion? It was because they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. How did they know they're extolling God? because these tongues were not gobbledygook. These tongues were a language, and somebody somewhere understood this language, and they knew that these people were extolling God. And so what had happened in this situation was these brothers and sisters upon whom the Holy Spirit came, they were speaking in languages that they hadn't learned, and they were extolling and worshipping God. The church is being built up. And the last reference to tongues is in Acts 19. And again, there was a small group, and it was in Ephesus, and they had come to faith, and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, and they hadn't even known about the Holy Spirit, and they were taught properly. And when the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit came when the Apostle Paul laid hands on him, and these brothers spoke in tongues and prophesied. There's about 12 of them, as the passage says. And that's it for the book of Acts. Three references to tongues. And then the only other reference that we have to tongues is when we come to this passage in Corinthians. And so all the tongues that we see in Acts were to the building up of the church. And all the tongues that we see in Acts was a known language given to those who hadn't learnt it. Now, there are nuances about tongues that we will come on to in chapter 14. And you going to have to wait for them, because this is as far as we're going with it today. But in Acts, we also see the apostles performing signs and wonders performing signs and wonders. These gifts of the Holy Spirit were poured out upon them. And in, in Acts chapter 5, in verse 12 through to 16, we can read about them. And it says, And many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, and the church was being built up. Verse 14, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now I'm thinking here, yeah? The first time when the tongues happened, there was 3,000. And it says, and more than ever. Does that mean there's more than 3,000? We, we don't know the figures, do we? But what we do know, that through these signs and wonders, the church was being built up. The church was growing. They were being added to The Lord. In Acts chapter 8, and this was the reading we had earlier, Philip is preaching. He's preaching. He's declaring God's word. And as he is doing this, he's also involved in doing some signs and wonders. And people are coming to faith. And then it's, it's seen this as incredible. What's going on here? And the apostles spoke about this in Jerusalem, and they sent Peter and John. And when Peter and John arrived there, they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, and, it, and this was an incredible thing that was going on, and amongst these, there was a man called Simon, and Simon was a magician, and Simon was a godless man, and Simon came to faith, he came to faith, and he came to realize something, and, and, and then he saw uh, what he saw in his mind, a, a transaction going on, that the Spirit w- was given to these other people through the laying on of hands, and he says, I want some of this. He wanted to be in the action. And so he offered money in verse 19. And he said, give me the power also so that anyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And and, and we don't read of Philip and Peter and John having a little discussion. Okay, how many denario can we get from this? This is going to be a bit of a moneymaker for us. We can, we, can, we can build the church here with some financial revenue from, from Simon. Let, let this, it's, it's going to be worth a lot. No, there was none of that. And he was really severely told off. You see, God is not transactional. And we see it vividly here. He is not for sale. And and, and tragically, we see somehow now that the, the reverse of this happening, people who are alleging to have spiritual gifts and they are selling their services. God is not transactional. The Holy Spirit is not for sale in acts 19 we have some more signs and wonders happening there in 11 to 12 the apostle of paul was being used by god and, and you have to see this yes and god was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of paul and god was Paul was just the means. You could almost say he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And then it was so miraculous that even handkerchiefs and, Abraham, uh, and aprons that had touched his skin were carried off to the sick and, and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. This is seriously, seriously extraordinary. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. It's truly miraculous. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. And it was God that was doing it. It was God that was driving it. It was God that was in control of it. And it was the hands of the Apostle Paul that were being used to do it. Extraordinary, amazing, dramatic outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in those ways. And the sick and the diseased. Were healed. And evil spirits came out of them. And it was amazing. And then the last recorded miracle in Acts is in chapter 28. The Apostle Paul's just been shipwrecked and is on the Isle of Malta, and something, another sign of wonder happens. He gets bitten on the hand by a snake and just flicks it off, and nothing happens to him. And and then it tells us in verse 8 that. There was a gentleman on this island, and his father lay sick with fever and dysentery. Now, listen what happened here. And Paul visited him and prayed. And putting hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And God was working. And the Holy Spirit was at power. And these people were healed. And God was demonstrating his power. And that's the last recorded miracle in Acts. And I want to say that times were changing. You see, times were changing. And we see these times changing, and it's subtle. This is why we need to know the whole of God's word. And this is why we shouldn't make a doctrine out of a verse. Now, when we see God is love, that is a doctrine, for sure. But the rest of God's word underlines that and emphasizes it and holds it together. And and we need to see the whole of of God's Word in its completion. And so we could look at Acts, we could see these amazing miracles, and we could say, this is what the church is all about. This is what we should be doing. We need apostles. We need people to do these mighty signs and wonders because this means the church will grow. And, And you could come to that conclusion. But as we go through God's Word we see something different. We see something going on. You see, decades later, the Apostle Paul is giving medical advice to his right-hand man, Timothy. Yeah? 1 Timothy 5, 23. It's a very contentious verse, not because of what happens, but because of the fact that alcohol is mentioned. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy, a mighty man of God. And he's resorting to taking a little bit of wine for his stomach's sake and his frequent ailments. All these miracles... <laughs> And Paul says, look, take a little wine. Or to bring it up to date, he has a headache. Timothy, take some paracetamol. Why doesn't he send Timothy off to, to, to the person with the gift of healings? Why didn't he just get his handkerchief out and rub it and say, quick, quick, get that to Timothy so he can be healed? Because times are changing. A little later, Paul is in his prison cell. And he's coming to the end of his life. I mean, why should Paul be caught in prison? Surely he should just pray and walk out in faith. That's what the apostolic era is all about, isn't it? We name and claim and declare, and things happen. But no, he's in prison. And he's stuck in prison. And he can't get out of prison, and he's chained in prison. And he's there. God's no less with him. He's there. He has a purpose. And part of his purpose is to write this letter. And in this letter, he writes in 2 Timothy, again to Timothy. And he's talking about a situation in, in verse 20. 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. Eretus remained in Corinth. And I left Trophimus, who was ill. He left the ill man behind. Now, no. Perhaps he should say he shouldn't leave anyone behind. But he was ill. He couldn't travel. And, And he left him behind. And Paul, look, where's the handkerchief? Paul, look, where's the laying on of hands? Paul, look, why didn't you heal him? Because times are changing. James, in his epistle, writes like this in chapter 5 and verse 14. He says, if any of you among you is sick, or actually a question, forgive me, is any among you sick? Question mark. Is any among you sick? Okay, you're sick. What do you do? You call for the elders of the church. And what do they do? They pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer. Times are changing. That They weren't told to go off and find the person with the gift of healing. They weren't told to go off to a healing ministry. They were told to call the elders and to pray. And there's been lots of thoughts about what this anointing and oil is, and now is not the time. God does heal people. I'm not saying he doesn't. But what we're just saying here is the times were changing. The times are changing. And when we read the pastoral epistles, when we have the instruction to the leaders of the church, when we have the, the blueprint of what churches should look like in the future, there is no reference to the position of apostles or prophets or healing ministry. There is no instruction about signs and wonders. There's no reference to the charismata, these amazing gifts that were very much present in the time of Acts. And so it would seem that over the life of the early church, as recorded in the New Testament, the charismata, these extraordinary gifts, these signs and wonders, petered out. There was an intensity of them. Now, of course, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, there was an intensity of this when Jesus Christ was here. And then in the early, early church, there was an intensity of it. And if you do an academic study of of church history, Academics have noted that Orthodox bible-centered Christianity, this charismata, is not been present for the first 1,900 years of the church's life. so it's only in the second half of this last century that it's really come and there's been a revival of, and an interest in the practice of the charismata, the longest period, the vast majority, 99, 95% of the Christian church it has not had the charismata has been a dominating feature. And it's only more recently that it's come. And so this has made me ask the question, And the question we do need to ask ourselves is why did the charismata, why did these extraordinary gifts, why did these signs and wonders peter out? Why is there not teaching about them in uh, the pastoral epistles? Why didn't Paul tell Timothy and Titus that they needed to do miracles and, and raise up miracle workers? Why were they not told to speak in tongues and get the churches speaking in tongues? Why were they not told these things? Why did these things seem to peter out? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, Paul explains what the signs and the wonders were all about. You see, the true, the, the sign of a true apostle, the sign of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. The signs and the wonders given by the power of the Holy Spirit to the apostles was a sign that these men were true apostles. These men could be trusted. These men were bringing God's word to bear. And so when this man spoke, he spoke with an authority that was from God, and God showed his authority by allowing and enabling those men to do remarkable things. The Lord used these gifts. The Lord used the charismata to authenticate, to authenticate the authority of the apostles. And this was vitally, vitally, vitally important. Because what are we to do now when we come across situations and things we don't understand? We go to God's Word. And we check it against God's Word, and God's Word is the absolute authority. But at that moment in time, they didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was limited to scrolls and people's memory. It wasn't readily available like we are blessed with it now. And so, God, as He was bringing His church into existence, He wanted people to follow the right people. And so, He empowered the right people with these gifts and signs and wonders so that the church would know ah, this person is genuine, this person can be trusted, that this person is working in the power of the Spirit. And the writer to the Hebrews gives a similar, similar explanation to this in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. He starts it with How shall we neglect such a great salvation? We we could do well just to stop there for a moment and ask the question Are you this morning neglecting the great salvation? You see, there's many people here who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they've been made right with God because they've not neglected it. They've not neglected the fact that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They've not neglected the fact that there's nothing they can do to earn their salvation. And they've called upon the name of the Lord. And they've been forgiven because Christ paid the price for their sins on the cross. And you can't escape if you neglect it. And, and, and the, the, the writer of the Hebrews was emphasizing this, this great salvation. And he said it was first declared by the Lord, this is by Jesus. And it was attested to us, it was proclaimed to us, it was shared to us by those who heard. Who were those that heard? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the apostles. The disciples, they heard what Jesus said and they brought that message to the rest of the church. And it said, they attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is what was happening there in the early part of Acts. The Apostles were bringing the way of salvation. They were teaching people the gospel. They were being used to build up the church. And alongside this, what God was doing to underline and to show that their teaching was true, he enabled them to have signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts. And it was the Holy Spirit that distributed it, not them. They had no control of it. The Holy Spirit did this through them. And that was the role of the apostles. The role of the apostles was to attest, was to declare what the Christ had brought to this world. Their, their role was to be ambassadors. Their role was to be mouthpieces. Their role was to speak God's word to the early church. The apostles were commissioned and sent by Jesus. They had a special function, and that was to establish the foundation, the foundation of the church on the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, and we've been here before, Ephesians 2 verse 20 tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets were instrumental in the building of the foundation and in the building of the foundation they were given these unique, special gifts and they brought God's word to the people. A unique part of the spiritual gift of being an apostle was the fact that they spoke on behalf of God. 2 Peter 3, 2 puts it like this, you shall remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Apostles. The apostles brought the commandments of God. The apostles brought the word of God to the church. And the role of the apostle was just like that of the Old Testament prophets. It was authoritative and it was revelatory. It was from God. It had authority. They brought God's word to the church. Again, in 2 Peter, in chapter 1, in verse twenty, when it talks about this. For prophecy never had an origin In the human will but prophets though human spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit this unique role and this unique task of the apostles and the prophets was to speak from god as they were carried on by the holy spirit And when the apostles spoke to the church, they did so in the same way as the Old Testament prophets. And when the Old Prophet said, Thus said the Lord, it was authoritative, it was from God, and it was there. And isn't it interesting that some of these Old Testament prophets did amazing signs and wonders. And why was that? Because God was telling the people around them, you can listen to this person. It's through there in the Old Testament and it's emphasized in the New Testament. Now this role and this gift of an apostle and prophet, as the Corinthians would have understood it, as the New Testament church would have understood it, is no more. That's not going to come as a surprise to you because I've said that before. And it is no more because the foundation is in place. The foundation is in place. The foundation doesn't need to be rebuilt. We build on the foundation. LPC is 2,000 years up on the foundation. It's the same foundation. It's the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and it's built on the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. Now, because the foundation is in place, the signs and the wonders, and the extraordinary gifts that were a sign of the apostles' authority are no longer needed. Yeah? That they're no longer needed. You see, we've seen that the New Testament role of apostles and prophets has finished, has come to an end. And alongside that role coming to the end, we have the complete Word of God, which is the teaching of the apostles and prophets. No, it's not. It's God's word being brought to us through the prophets and the apostles. This is God's word. This is revelatory. This is authoritative. The, the role of the apostle and prophet, the New Testament role, is finished. We don't need anyone else to come and give us this again. It's been given to us completely and fully, and it's closed. And it's all that we need for salvation and sanctification. And alongside this, we see in the Scriptures, if we're being faithful to them, and to the whole story of the New Testament, a demise of the extraordinary gifts. And we see a total lack of teaching about the extraordinary gifts in the pastoral epistles. Now, yes, we do have it here in Corinthians, because there was a problem in Corinthians. And it was in the time of the role of when the apostles and the prophets were active. And it was a time when those things were relevant to their situation. And there is teaching from there which should be relevant to our situation. And we're going to be looking at that in the days ahead. But when you look through God's Word and you see the canon of Scripture and you see the New Testament as it plays out, and as we look into the the, the parts of God's Word that is for the church and how the church should be built up and how the church should operate and how it should be about in the pastoral epistles, there is no teaching whatsoever about the extraordinary. And the evidence from church history, if you're faithful to that evidence and look through it, yes, there are occasions of different things happening, but the overriding first 1,900 years of church history was absent from that kind of thing in orthodox, Bible-based churches. And then nowadays, as we look around, we see horrendous spiritual and financial abuse that flourishes... When leaders see themselves as authoritative, when they take on too much authority, when they liken themselves to apostles and prophets, so often, tragically, in those places, there is horrendous spiritual abuse. And some of you here have suffered from that. And it grieves me and saddens me that that was done in the name of Christ. And you see so-called men of God flying around the world in their own personal fleet of jets. And you see the financial abuse that's happening when their congregation is learning earning less than $10 a week. You know this. You've seen this. And friends, there's a vast difference between the signs and the wonders that happened in Acts and the stuff that's going on now. And friends, it's these facts, it's God's Word that's led me to this position that I'm sharing with you this morning. And that is the extraordinary gifts have ceased to be normative. And I want you to continue listening. I want you to listen carefully. Because I am not saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is finished. Absolutely not. We are, as I go on to say, in desperate need of the Holy Spirit. In the right context, in the right way. What I am just saying is these extraordinary gifts have ceased to be normative. I'm not saying they will never ever happen. It's just not the normal thing that the church needs. Because we have God's word. It's complete. We don't have apostles and prophets who needed that. I speak to you in authority, not because of who I am or what I can do. I speak to you in authority because I'm speaking from God's word. And I always say to you, friends, don't I? If it's not in God's word, don't listen to it. And challenge me and say, where did you get that from God's word? It's God's word that we need. And I'm not saying that God does not work the supernatural now. God does. He's in absolute control. But he doesn't normally do it through extraordinary gifts. He does it in his own way, in his own time, in his own place. You don't buy the Holy Spirit. You don't command the Holy Spirit what to do. You can't write a leaflet and say, the Holy Spirit is coming to be poured out upon us at this date. Who are we to tell God what to do? But I do say, and I want you to hear this, that God does work in the supernatural. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal, He does heal. This week, Anja's father, a miracle happened in the sense that they were told that the tumor could not be removed. And the tumor's removed, and the scan shows the tumor has been removed. And the prayers of God's people have been answered, and miracles happen. And God does heal people, and we praise him for it. But we don't go around demanding God to heal people. We beseech him in prayer because that's what he's told us to do. We don't go around getting some man of God's handkerchief to wipe on on just Father's head. No, we pray for him because that is what God has told us to do. I'm not saying God doesn't use providential means and feelings to guide us. He does. And I'm not saying that God doesn't give people impressions of what may happen or a situation that may happen. He does. But that's not prophecy. That's not a spiritual gift. That's God working through us in the everyday means of life. And I'm not saying that God doesn't lay scriptures on our heart for ourselves and others. How many times have I been blessed when a brother or sister has come to me and said, I-, I want to share this with you. And that was God working, amen and hallelujah. But that's not a special gift. That is God working. I am just saying that along with the elders of LPC, we, we believe and teach that the extraordinary gifts that were connected to the apostolic ministry have ceased to be normative. And so we say, well, what about verse 10 of Corinthians 13? Verse 10 says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And, and, and the perfect coming is the Lord Jesus Christ's return. It can't be anything else, and that's how the passage opens up. And then some would argue this contradicts our position, and I would say, I've not used this verse to come to this position. And this verse does not oppose the position because there are many prophecies that we are still waiting for for completion. Christ hasn't come yet and that's been promised. That's a prophecy. And we're waiting on it. And you see, when Christ returns, all that will pass away. But what will continue, friends? Love will continue. So, I've said what I'm not saying, and I just want to say something about what I am saying. This means that we as a church are not going to go around chasing and demanding the extraordinary spiritual gifts, we're not going to build programs around extraordinary spiritual gifts. What we passionately believe from God's Word that we are called to do as a church is exactly what the apostles were called to do then, and that is preach the Word, to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified, to realize that there is a world out there that is dying without a Savior and dying and going to an eternity of condemnation. And we know the good news And what we are told to do is to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And we're told to love each other as brothers and sisters. And we're told to love our enemy. And we're told to love the lost out there. And so, as you've heard me say before, our call is to preach the word to teach the Word, to read the Word, to pray the Word, to sing the Word, because God's Word is His Word, and it's been given to us, and you don't need anything else. And if you want to grow spiritually, don't tune into YouTube to see someone wailing a hanky and dancing on a screen. That's going to do nothing for you, but open God's Word. Pray that the Holy Spirit will unleash His Word into your heart and His life, and you know what? He will. Because he's promised. And his promises never, ever fail. We desperately need the Holy Spirit as our helper, and he is our helper. But not like a personal assistant that we tell what to do. He's our helper and a comforter because he knows what we need. We don't need new revelation, we need to get stuck into his word. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to help us to pray and to read God's Word. We must walk in the Spirit. And when we must desire and and cultivate those ordinary spiritual gifts that have been given to us, we must long to see the fruit of the Spirit abiding in our lives. And what is the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. And so, friend, No matter what you believe about spiritual gifts, whether you believe the position of the elders of this church or not, in some ways I'm going to say it doesn't matter. Because what really matters is the bookends, the bookends are what matters. It's this love that matters. The church at Corinth was in an absolute mess because it was putting a wrong emphasis on the spiritual gifts. It was in a mess because the grace of love that had been given to them by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at their conversion was not being practiced. They were rude. They were arrogant. They were conceited. They were puffed up. They were selfish. They did things their own way. And it was love where the problem was. They hadn't got love. And yes, they could do all these amazing things, spiritual, gifted-wise, but they hadn't love and there was nothing. And so we have to cut through all this noise and ask ourselves the question, LPC, how are we doing on the love front? And you... You here as a child of God the the, the big deal is not the spiritual gifts and the big deal is not whether you believe they continue or don't. That's not the big deal. Yes, I've preached about it and yes, I've shared with you what we believe from God's word and it might help you understand LPC better. But what really matters for all of us is what are we doing on the love front? As we stand in front of the mirror of 1 Corinthians 13, as we look at the, the reflection, are we patient? Are we kind, or do we envy and boast? Are we arrogant, irritable, resentful, we rejoice in wrongdoing? You see love rejoices in the truth, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. love never ends, friend is your view and practice of spiritual gifts driven by love that is a question is your view and practice of spiritual gifts driven by love or do you love and i think i open bracket there and put or do you discount Zends ends of the spectrum, do you love or discount spiritual gifts at the expense of love? That's what the Corinthians were doing. The Corinthians loved spiritual gifts at the expense of agape. And, and we possibly could discount spiritual gifts at the expense of agape or we may even love spiritual gifts at the expense of agape so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love pursue love I just want to give you a, f- a few moments to ponder and pray and think over what you've heard and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. And then I'm going to close the meeting in prayer because that's where the time is, has, has come to. So please have a few moments to prayerfully consider and ask the Lord to show you what is teaching you this morning. Almighty God, as we come before you now, we ask that you would teach us what you'd have us to learn. Help us to faithfully hold on to your Word. Oh Lord God, may each and every one of us here who knows you as our Heavenly Father, may we grow in faith and hope and love. We thank you that faith and hope, and love abide, and and love abides, and love is eternal, and it's because love is you, and your love is never-ending, never-beginning love for us. Oh, Lord God, forgive us for when we have chased the wrong things, put the wrong emphasis on the wrong things. Forgive us for when we haven't been loving to one another as we should have been, Forgive us when we haven't loved our enemies as we should have done. Forgive us for when we haven't loved and cared about the lost. Forgive us when we put ourselves before each other and you. Heavenly Father, as we go through this series, we're learning that we just need so much more of your love in our lives. And poured, pouring out of our lives. And so we earnestly seek and pray that you would help us to pursue love. And may your Holy Spirit continue to fill us with your love. And may the difference be marked. And oh Lord God, as we may be leaving here this morning with differing opinions, oh Lord God, if that's the case, may we leave in love. May that be the overriding mark of your children here, that we love one another and we do that because you first loved us. Heavenly Father, as we go our separate ways, we come to you as the God who is able to keep us from stumbling and the God who will present us blameless before your presence with great glory and joy. We come to you the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ the Lord. And we look to you to have the glory, the majesty, the dominion and authority, both now and forevermore. Amen. 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 Amen.